everybody it's july 2023 and this month's sponsor of the spamming zero podcast is just uno just uno.com that's j-u-s-t-u-n-o.com they create personalized website experiences that converts specifically for e-commerce as well um, they work with a bunch of direct-to-consumer brands but i find it very fascinating here's some just stats that they have aggregated across all their customers on average, a customer of theirs sees 135% lift in online revenue in the first year using Just Uno. That's amazing. That's incredible. Um, they also see five times the amount that they grew their email list by, almost by 500% with Just Uno with one of their customers called Snow Monkey. And then another one is 133,000 um, industry-leading brands leveraging Just Uno. This is insane to me. <laughs> Um, Just Uno is, is, offers a bunch of different solutions that I, I really can, can relate to as a marketer, especially if you're in the direct-to-consumer space. This is a great place to start. You can drive engagement through gamification, do personalization at scale, segment, segmenting and targeting as well. Um, also, tie, tying into sales, you can increase the sales as well as the paid media. Um, and, and email list growth, which is one of the hardest things to do uh, across all marketing. So that's just uno.com. They're incredible to work, work with. Um, we love them here at Flip. They're one of our partners. And they're also really well integrated into your e-commerce stack. So they already connect to your Shopify accounts, your Magentos, um, whatever your OMS might be, they can tie directly into it. That's just uno.com. I'm James. And I'm Brian. And this is Spamming Zero. Welcome to another episode of Spamming Zero, everyone. Thank you to all of our listeners out here who listen every single week. Thanks for sticking with us. We are joined by Brett Simpson, who is from Inkbox. Brett, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So Brett, tell us a little bit about your background um, and a little bit about your experience in e-commerce so far. Yeah, I've spent the last like 10 or 15 years uh, at various e-commerce companies, usually with a focus on web to print. So I kind of ended up by accident specializing in that. Um, but I think it was just a timing thing. Um, and I've kind of worked in small enough companies that I've worked all over the shop. So I've worked in marketing, I've done operations, I've done fulfillment, I've uh, kind of like built manufacturing systems out. <laughs> and so now I try to just take a back seat and help other people with what they're trying to work on that maybe they uh, need like an outside perspective from other departments and try to represent those other departments' uh, interests when I'm working on, on a project with a given department. Love it. So Brett, before we joined, we were kind of chatting a little bit um, and we were talking about, it's really good weather here in Utah. So like if we've been like moving, going outside a lot and I was telling you how we, we just, we're, I'm taking my boys swimming today and you said, I'm on a swimming break. So what are you on a swimming break from? Uh, I, I got another tattoo. I, I was just out of a swimming ban because um, I got a tattoo. I was uh, traveling for work and I kind of had a free day and I was like, oh, I'll get a tattoo. And then as soon as that was over, I went swimming. Uh, and I'm from Toronto where there's no swimming for most of the, most of the winter. So 
I was kind of excited to get into it, but then, yeah, this week I decided to get another tattoo. Uh, there was an artist who was leaving town for a while, and I, I was like, ah, they got an opening. I really want to get in there. So I got a full shin piece of my of my dog, my sassy orange dog. What's your dog's name? Uh, Hachi. Hachiko. Ah, uh, awesome. What is, is there, like, meaning behind that? It's a very sad story from Japan about a dog that was friends with... Uh, with a professor and he waited at the train station every day for the professor to get off the train. And if I remember correctly, I haven't seen the movie cause it's too sad. She came to me with this name. <laughs> um, but yeah, if I remember correctly, the professor passes away and the, and Hachiko sits at the train station every day and, and waits for him to, to show up one day, kind of like the really sad episode of Futurama. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as I understand it, that's why she's named Hachiko. Um, She's she's really sweet though. She's like eleven years old. She's uh she's the queen of the house. What kind of dog is it? Uh she's a Shiba Inu. This is her this is her bed that I had to build her. This used to be a shelf that an air conditioner was on. Awesome. Um so I've cut a little hole there so she can come in from the backyard as she pleases and lie down. Watch me work. So if Chewy is listening, I mean Brett needs some some love for his dog. Just so, so it actually doesn't turn into a sad dog like the other one. That it was yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, we got to take care of Hachiko. She, she's a queen and she knows it. Yeah, I love it. All right, so let's get started. Um, first of all, I like to start these things off with just a quick little kind of different question. Today we are gonna we're gonna talk about quite a, quite a bit. So first of all, we're gonna talk about leadership. Second, we're gonna talk about collaboration. Um, and we're going to talk about how you address that at Inkbox as well. But before we do, what's your big guilty pleasure right now? Uh, I, w- <laughs> I would say eight- I'm really into 80s Japanese city pop at the okay. moment. I couldn't name a single artist, uh, <laughs> certainly not without mispronouncing it. Uh, but I've got a couple playlists and there are some absolute bangers that came out of Japan in the 80s. Um, and that's kind of my main playlist. It kind of makes your life feel, you know, if you're stuck in traffic, if you, I promise you put on eighties, Japanese city pop, it makes your life feel like a video game. You're less upset about it. You're just on a side quest now. That's awesome. I I love that analogy. My daughter's been into K-pop. Oh yeah. Actually more, more younger years, but still like, um, I've never thought about it as like a little side mission on in a video game. <laughs> yeah, it can it can change the the way that you perceive kind of your your life, which when I'm stuck in traffic, I really need all the help I can get. All right, so let's dive into this topic. Would you be willing to share some insights um into yours and Inkbox's unique approach to collaboration? And that's something that you said you were really passionate about. So let, let's talk about that. Like give maybe a high level on your point of view on it and then how you're actually implementing that at Inkbox. Yeah, I, I think we try to be a really high ownership environment uh, and a high accountability environment. And for both of those to co- coexist, it's also got to be super high trust. You need to make space for people to make mistakes, which everybody likes to say that, but it's really tough to um, kind of build out a culture where people feel comfortable admitting their mistakes, um, especially in certain forums. And, you know, you're going to get new team members all the time who are going to come in and that's going to be very new to them. And so it's going to take them a while to feel comfortable with that. Um, so a big part of it for me is leading by example. 
um, I try to encourage our team to, um, and I do every single time I make like a, a pretty substantial mistake or oversight, which happens, or a bad decision, um, I present it uh, in one of our cross-functional meetings the next Monday. I say, this is what we what I did, this is what I thought I was doing, and this is where I went wrong. Uh, and we haven't had too many people also do a, a slide in, in the company-wide <laughs> meeting just yet. Um, but people really appreciate it. And, and I think that leading by example in terms of that and giving people the space to approach you with something and say, you know, either I don't have the answer to this, that's a big one. Like how many, how many companies have, have you worked out where um, somebody will ask a question and the other person starts answering it and it's really clear right away that the true answer is, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I could find out and I could get back to you. But you don't have a culture where they're allowed to say that. You have a culture where they have to try to pull something like on the fly. And so they give you whatever whatever answer is going to get them out of the hot seat, um, which is okay. But what that starts to do is that then other people hear you say that or they hear leaders of a certain level say that and it becomes gospel. It's like, yeah. okay, well, from now on, we're doing it that way because I heard it in a meeting my boss say we were doing it that way, but they might've just been panicked and they didn't have time to think about it. Um, and so I think it's really critical to make room for people to say, I don't know, I'm coming back to it or, you know what, we did this and that was not the right move. That was a mistake and here's what we've learned. Um, and that goes, was already in place before I started at Inkbox. Uh, mm -hmm. I can't take credit for all of it, um, but I definitely try to make that um, a big part of our culture. And at the very least, everybody knows that if they can't admit um, if they can't cop to a mistake, like in a 60 person Monday morning meeting, fair play. I understand. Uh, they at least know that they can message me or their boss or whoever they think could help them figure out the best way to deal with it, uh, and get it resolved. Um, and, and so that I think is a big part of it. Also, um, we have, we're big on the and on cord method where it's like anybody in the company can stop anything from moving forward if they see a big enough problem. They can talk to whoever they need to and they can say, put that whole project on hold because I've just identified this. And we're very careful to follow the end on process. We thank them for it. We take time, we deal with it immediately and we take time to understand what they're saying. Um, and that's really important that they feel reinforced that they have the ability to, to stop the entire company moving uh, if it's important enough. Because sometimes it is. I love that approach because... <clears throat> Well, there's a couple of things that you said that I, I want to unpack for a second. One, I don't think enough leaders share their failures. Like yeah. you, you get to a certain level in an organization and you almost never even hear about them. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. I like, I love that you're passionate about this cause I'm also passionate about this. This is actually something that I talk about a lot on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I do like a CMO fat, uh, fail alert <laughs> post like every so often. And, and, you know, like I, I, I believe that the more that we can be transparent about our failures, the more that we can help people that are trying to reach the level that maybe we are already at, uh, be better, um, and be better leaders in the future. And I think ultimately we should all want to create that, um, type of environment. Yeah. So I, exactly. I love that you're passionate about it. And I love that you talked about that. I also really like the idea of like, anybody in the organization can stop a project. Like, I think that's, that's cool. Um, I, this is the first time I've actually ever heard of that, of that theory. So talk oh, to me about 
how how does it work? Like, how does somebody raise that to the to the surface? It's like through Slack or what? <laughs> uh, so I think an important part of it is that it needs to be um, flexible. It needs to be you got to meet people on their level. If you're asking people to step outside of their comfort zone and you're asking that organization wide, like I want somebody. Um, we set up a couple retail kiosks recently. Um, just kind of an experiment. We're trying to keep it low cost and just see if we can increase retail presence in a certain area. Um, and we got there and we opened one of the drawers that was supposed to be where all the tattoos go. Um, and it was just an empty, like a rectangle, right? And so we had all these Ziploc bags of tattoos and I had to put them somewhere before the mall opened and before we got people trained so they were locked up. So I just kind of dumped the bag, the box of tattoos in. Uh, and when I was training or uh, like onboarding people, just kind of showing them around, uh, they opened the drawer and nobody said right away anything about it. And I was like, okay, just to be clear, if you're ever at work and you see something this chaotic, like this is not good enough and you need to be in my inbox telling me, hey, man, that's bad. And we, we need to solve that right now because that's just unacceptable. Um, and you've got to instill that in people so that they feel comfortable bringing it up because otherwise you just, too many people will continue to operate like, I assume someone above me has thought about this already and decided that this isn't a big deal. And you'll get six months into projects and then that will actually be the thing. The thing everyone was worried about is the thing that's going to cause a, a lot of problems. And you've got to kind of rescope a bunch of stuff. Uh, and not hearing that early is very, very costly. And you don't want to hear it early. You don't like, really want to hear it. But it's, it's kind of like a silent killer, you know? Um, yeah. <clears throat> like it just lingers and eventually kills what, what you're doing. So I love that. You work a lot cross-functionally with teams as well. So talk to, talk to us a little bit about how you approach the cross-functional team side of this and and how that plays a role in the culture. Uh, it, it It's, yeah, it can be really challenging. Um the main thing that I try to instill is that there aren't really any, there can't, there cannot be secrets. Not that there aren't any, but there can't be because the longer you keep something secret, the less we can help you with it. And so I really don't like, there are some operations, um, development's a really good example of one that has to happen in a black box to a point, right? Like you can put in requirements, you can discuss prioritization, but the code of it for the most part, most people aren't going to understand what's happening there enough to weigh in on it, um, which is which is fine. Everything else, and including the design of that code, everything else needs to be happening kind of in an open, accessible environment. We record most of our meetings. I record pretty much every meeting that I'm in, um, and we make those available so that anybody can go back and find everything. We publish everything we can on either shared drives or Confluence. It kind of varies by department, but as long as the information's available, I'm happy. Uh, we leverage Airtable a lot and everybody has access to each other's Airtable. Um, there's very, very little that's hidden. Uh, and recently what we started doing in, in one of our Monday meetings uh, is just a company-wide scrum. Um, and it kind of, didn't really take I thought it would take a little bit for for people to catch on but we just kind of started the first week I gave people instructions the Monday morning on what I expected from them and I went first and then I had our PM go next and I had our head of dev go next so that it was three people in a row that knew what they were comfortable in the format right 
Uh, and then everybody else, I was like, look, just say your piece. You've had a few examples. Do your best. Like nothing's wrong here. Um, and that has taken a meeting that for a little while was in a bit of a state of limbo where the utility of it was kind of questionable. And I was really trying to figure out exactly what it should be. And everybody I talked to wanted it to be something slightly different. Um, and it wasn't until we tried a few of those things, threw most of that out, and then changed it to to a Scrum format, um, which I want to give credit to our PM, Olivia, for pushing for that. She suggested it, and I was like, oh, I did really want Yeah, I th I've been thinking about that. And you know what? We're going to try it next week. Uh, we've been doing that, and the feedback from across the teams has been that this is the most helpful that meeting has been for them for a long time, because now they actually understand what people are working on, what they're up against. They can they can volunteer help instead of being asked for it is a big one, um, and they can start to align some of their efforts just very passively, just in very minor ways with what other people are working on. Uh, which makes them way more effective when they start having to answer questions for somebody else to help them out. They already have the context, so they know exactly what what it like where it's coming from, and they kind of expected it. So dive into that a little bit more, if you don't mind. Um, give, like, what's the framework of the meeting then? Like, um, how does it how does it operate? <clears throat> it is now. Um, you show up. You listen to two minutes of japanese city pop because <laughs> because the dead air at the beginning of the meeting kills me um yeah after two minutes two minutes in we start i don't care who's there we're starting two minutes in every single time uh we pull up a slideshow the slideshow is just a list of names for the first slide uh, and that's the order we go in that's just so that i don't go in between everybody and say okay you're next because when i do that i have a tendency i you know when it's a zoom meeting you kind of like you start feel like to, you have to fill the air. Yeah, you really start to feel like a late night jazz DJ. <laughs> <laughs> like, thank you very much to the marketing team. Next up. <laughs> so I just make a list. I tell everybody to go through it. The the points of what I want to hear from you are up there, which is what was your main focus last week? And very, very high level, how did that go? What is your main focus this week? And do you see any blockers or any areas that you're going to need to leverage other teams for help? We go through everybody. I take notes on things that seem like they need to be followed up on, which are fairly few and far between. Um, and then we have a second section, which we go through the rest of the presentation after that slide. And people have an opportunity in advance to put anything they want to in that slide, um, in that slide deck. So if you have an announcement or something that that's the right group for, you have an opportunity to do it. But that happens after Scrum, usually doesn't happen, to be honest. Uh, we go through the scrum, and when the meeting's over, the meeting's over. They often last 12 minutes. We book 30 minutes for it. It's Monday. Monday, everybody's kind of happy to have the time back. Um, and yeah, it's just been it's just been super productive. When it, It's little things like our research and innovation team talking about what they're working on, giving our social team a heads up that allows them to interact with our customers more thoughtfully, knowing what's on the roadmap, as opposed to kind of R&I is an easy one that you you know, they can be off in the lab all day and you, you wouldn't necessarily know what they're doing. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it kind of brings everybody together. It's really quick and structured and uh, people know what to expect from it. And I, I think that's where most of the utility is coming from now. Cool. So what are some successful like launches and campaigns that you've done where you've put together this collaboration um, and some of this culture uh, initiatives. Like, talk to us a little bit about that. I know you guys, 
I, th- I believe this is public, and if it's not, we'll have to cut it out. But if it, I believe it is. You guys just did a partnership with Walmart, right? Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, we we sold, got an opportunity to sell into Walmart, uh, which is our first mass retail. Like we've done little retail placements. We have some some contracts in retail, but nothing to this scale. Um, this was really substantial, and it affected. Like that touches every team. That's going to touch design. It touched development. It went to fulfillment. It went to research and innovation. Our compliance team worked <laughs> like so hard um, because when you're dealing with Walmart, especially, you really have to follow all the rules, which for a company that was a startup and not acquired two years ago, following rules is kind of new to us. Um, so following them all exactly to a T is quite difficult. Um, marketing got in on it. Our whole e-com team that's that's kind of what was most interesting about it is we have a very e-com focused team we're in, we have been for so many years an e-commerce company that's it um we've had a couple retail stores and they were successful but you know what i mean our, yeah, our for head the most count, part it's mostly online we're heavily specialized uh and so we were all of a sudden taking all these people who know e-com backwards and forwards and saying okay we're doing mass retail you need to figure out what works in walmart and so that changes like your whole creative direction has to change. You have to speak to a whole different type of, of, of consumer. Um, our negotiations changed. It was a lot less casual. Uh, and, and so we had to bring everybody together and not only accomplish everything that we needed to accomplish to get that out uh, on, frankly, an insane timeline, um, which we did, of course. <laughs> um, but aside from that, we also had to like learn what we didn't know. And that was kind of across the entire company. Um, and then figure out how to fill those gaps before we got there. Um, a lot of communication was involved. There's a lot of um, getting kind of the key players in there to know contextually what everybody's doing um, so that you're not in lockstep, but you know very clearly when you need to ask someone either for help or what their opinion is or if something will affect their team. I think that's really, really the key of it is that you have to know when a decision you make in marketing is going to affect every other team on that list. Uh, and that's tough to do. It's, it's really difficult to do. Um, and we don't always get it right. And so we kind of err on the side of over-communication. We do extra meetings about big projects, big initiatives like that. Um, and we make sure that people, as I said, we make sure people are comfortable asking the, the tough questions. Are we sure we can actually do this? Because I see these roadblocks in place. Um, and then we we try to resolve those. What was the timeline for the full Walmart rollout? Was it like twelve months, six months, longer? It wasn't twelve. I think like it. It I I think from deli- like from the beginning of the project to delivery was kind of probably close to six. But that oh, wow. means like that's so still much, fast. So way. much of that has to happen in the first month, so yeah. that you can. So that the other two months you can achieve all the, the cascading lists of things that you need to to achieve. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that's actually pretty fast, um, especially since you guys were doing this for, this was the first time you've ever, I mean, outside of the couple of stores, right, mass distribution into the into the brick and mortar. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and, and uh, yeah, we, we had to move extremely quickly. We had to make a whole list of decisions that we weren't making before and therefore weren't as confident in making um and then do all that well you protect the very sizable e-commerce brand that we've built like we can't just 
for example, we can't just shut down our production line and just run mass retail because the, the paycheck's big. We have to figure out how to balance those things. Um, luckily, I didn't <laughs> have to figure <laughs> that out. Um, but yeah, so, it, was, it was definitely a challenge. So what was your biggest learning moment and what, what do you feel like the biggest failure in that situation was? Um, I think one of the toughest things was that we held some of the team out for, for valid reasons until we had commitment that we were actually going to go ahead with something. We had to limit our, our investment in it. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, you can't limit the investment too much. Like they are the biggest retailer in the world. Like <laughs> they can kind of tell me anything and I'm going to f- find a way to do it. Yep. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, balancing that and, uh, <sighs> What was the biggest failure of it? Um, or what? Know, or what is the biggest um, success that, you, or what biggest learning moment that you feel like you got out of it? Yeah, I think we learned a lot of a lot of uh, small lessons about how the cascading decisions affected everybody. There were a lot of decisions that were kind of being made in conjunction with Walmart for obvious reasons, like your um assortment like which tattoos are we going to put on the shelves because we can't put we've we've only got 10,000 on the website so like we can't <laughs> put 10,000 in Walmart unfortunately um so we've got to figure out which ones and it's very easy to take a decision like that that everybody has input on and make it the world's biggest decision and take too much time with it but it's I cannot all... imagine doing that like that's but a it's lot also of tattoos. easy to do the opposite Oh yeah, yeah, a lot of tattoos. There, there are themes though, you know. Yeah. Like we can, we can see trends, but I think trying to decide all that um, was definitely challenging, and we didn't have the time to kind of user test it in the way that I would prefer to to get exacting answers. Um, and I think it put us in a position where, like, honestly, we should have done some garbage work for it. We should have made like more mock-ups and more like materials earlier in it that we could have presented to them so that some of the work was done a little bit later um because we had a mountain of work to climb once we once we got it signed uh i think that was the biggest thing that cross-functionally kind of made it difficult to execute um at the same time had we over invested in that and then not signed the deal uh i would have been time wasted yeah, I would be in here being like the biggest mistake we made last year was over investing in this thing that didn't pan out, right? Uh, I love the balance that you have that you guys have chose to do there because I think that that's pretty telling, and I think that I that it also speaks to the speed in which you were able to roll it out. Because um, I think six months not ever being there is like that's actually really awesome. It's like, yeah, <laughs> y'all should be proud of that. Um, yeah, yeah. No, the team definitely like every across the whole org just worked really hard and did some really, really amazing stuff. Unfortunately, at Inkbox, that's not like it kind of feels like that's a Tuesday. Everybody's like, yeah, we do. <laughs> we do impossible stuff all the time. It's not a big deal. So I'm curious because you guys have a product that can be very specific to the generational gaps that exist in our world, right? So when you're rolling out to Walmart, now you have, to your point, you have a different audience. You have an audience that might actually not be able to get online and transact, but they might be like the younger generation, like Gen Z, 
so let's let's talk about a little bit about that. When you're going through your tattoo selection, and you're obviously that's a big group project. I can't imagine going through ten thousand, but you said you had groups. So did you think about like the generational differences between like who your audience is, and did that play a role in any of it? Uh, that was actually what we. Uh, sorry, my chair's rolling away because my floor is not not flat. Um, that was a really big part of the challenge for us, and it was actually the opposite of of what you were thinking. Um, really? Yeah, we get a lot of interest and a lot of um, consumers who are Gen Z. Um, I guess using you know somebody else's credit card or I mean, what have you. But I, I, what I meant though is like I bet you the Gen Z generation is not the ones that are specifically going on the website and transacting on their own. Where they're they, now, they're going to have more access to your products at Walmart, or no? It's so it's actually that we want to find a good way to serve what is they're currently the core market almost is Gen yeah. Z uh, for us, and so now that we're in Walmart, we have to consider that not everybody is a cooler than me Gen <laughs> Z kid. Okay. Right? When we're dealing with the website, I frequently tell people I'm not that old, but I frequently <laughs> tell people like, "Hey, man, like." I'm too old to know. I don't know what the answer <laughs> to that is. Ask me a question I can do like a spreadsheet on. Um, and and so I never know like what, what the Gen Z people are going to like. And then we were doing Walmart. We were like, there's actually going to be a huge, like the, the um, semi-permanent tattoo market, the body art market kind of as a whole extends a lot further than Gen Z. Gen Z was just more willing to adopt it because they couldn't get tattoos. They were more open um, psychologically. So they're more willing to entertain the idea that a tattoo that doesn't last forever and didn't hurt, uh, is still a real tattoo and is still something valid. Right. Whereas there are a lot of people my age who like, we've talked about certain markets that were like, they're just going to look at it and be like, well, if it didn't hurt, it doesn't count. Um, I remember going to grocery or not grocery stores, but gas stations that had the little penny candies and they'd have the gum Yeah, and they'd have like the tattoos. I would get so many of those as a young, young kid. And yeah, I mean like my, my boys, like we went to um, Hawaii and they wanted to get a, a, a tattoo on their face and all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, go for it. Like, yeah, <laughs> why, why not? It's kind of fun. Um, I think that I'm curious how much, like the history and the evolution of those early products in the eighties and nineties where temporary tattoos were, were starting to become a thing, but they were in a very unique market. How much of that did, did that play a role in the history of like ink box and like what you guys do today? Do you guys ever look back at those situations? Yeah. Yeah. Quite a bit. I mean, there's still some, our, our application process is very different from those. Um, and the experience with them is very different. So like, there's still, I think room for those tattoos. I think like, especially we think about how Halloween, right? (laughs) For a Halloween costume, do you really want a tattoo that lasts one or two weeks? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Yeah. So we don't sell a lot of custom tattoos that are for Halloween costumes, right? Like it's just not, we might sell tattoos that are Halloween themed and go with certain outfits, but you're not doing it for the costume. So there is kind of room for both. But the main thing that uh, kind of led our founders to start the business was that they wanted a tattoo that looked real enough that you could, as an adult, wear it and go out to a bar and not necessarily get hazed, um, which I think would happen less these days, which I'm very happy about. But like, 
seven years ago when we started it like i feel like if you went in with like an obvious temporary tattoo to the wrong bar you'd get an earful about it right no doubt about it (laughs) so they wanted something that looked a little a little more realistic and would last longer and allow them to kind of get the tattoos that they wanted in a real kind of experience without making a mistake that you know you get something dumb and you have to live with it for the rest of your life which is a real concern in your i don't know early 20s i think i was very concerned about that until i don't know i feel like i, I was 30 before i was kind of like eh, i'll get whatever care. tattoo yeah <laughs> all right so i gotta <clears throat> i gotta ask you this the other day i wrote a post on linkedin and i asked i asked everybody because i it reminded me of um this campaign that Domino's did and they did it in russia and basically the first hundred people that got the Domino's tattoo permanent, it had to be permanent, um, got pizza for like 10 years for free or something like that. Yeah. And it was such a massive campaign. It like blew up. Right. So I asked this question to the LinkedIn world of what is a tattoo that you would get for a brand if they gave you free products? Who? That's very tough because I have an ideological <laughs> disagreement with getting ta- brands on my on my body. Um, hang on, I'm I'm just gonna think about it for a second, then I'll definitely have something. For- okay, Royal Enfield. If I could get unlimited free Royal Enfield motorcycles, I would. <laughs> Yeah, See, I think there you go. Fine. There you go. It was really interesting. There was people that put in like gas stations and yeah. like grocery stores. And I was like, okay, these people are thinking a lot more logical than I was. I was like, I'd put you the Utah Jazz because I'm obsessed with them. <laughs> I did think about food because it was a consumable, but then I couldn't think of anything other than Popeyes. And I was like, I don't think I can eat that much Popeyes. I don't know, <laughs> so, man. You could spread it out. You know, it's free. So. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be good good vibe i think something i think i would waste it on something stupid i, I would get like synth- synthesizers or motorcycles or something cool man I, I i just like i'm getting all these interesting thoughts in my head right now about like <laughs> i want to like partner with you guys and see if i can get a massive amount of people to get a temporary tattoo for two weeks for like an event or something like that I you think definitely it'd be, can it'd be so cool like i've never seen anything like that yeah there's flash mobs out there that sing and dance but have you ever seen a flash mob get all tattoos the same way i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> well something i actually really there's a tattoo artist i think he's in montreal i don't really know um, but a tattoo artist I follow on Instagram who takes old timey like rubber hose cartoons and you'll take frames out of them and you can get a frame from an animation. So like there are 64 cool. other people out there with other frames of the same character and all together it makes an animation. And I think that's so cool. Like you have this connection with all these other people that you will never encounter. And even if you do, you would never know. Um, that's pretty cool. I like that a lot. I love that project. I, I really want to go get one, but I'm also really picky. So until he has the right characters and I'm in town, you know. <laughs> well, now that I know that you're really picky, how about as a follow-up to this, you send me in an email um, your favorite ink box tattoos, your top three. Oh, that's easy. Yeah, I can do that. I have them on, <laughs> I have them on speed dial. I have bookmarks. <laughs> you have them already. That's awesome. Okay. Let's let's flip gears here for a little bit. And we do something on this podcast called FMK. Everybody knows what it is, but we're not going to say the the word that starts with F. Um, 
you know, I gotta gotta clean it I don't up think for I've my swore. kids. Yeah, I didn't swear yet. You can swear. It's just my uh, kids get on me if I do. You know, if oh, they hear okay. somebody else do it, they're like, oh, no big deal. But if dad does it, they're like, dad, <laughs> I can't believe you did that. <laughs> you know how it goes. Yeah, All right. Sense. So let's talk about this. What is something sexy right now that you feel like is sexy in e-commerce? It's got to be AI content, right? Like that's what everybody's on to. That's the thing that like, especially like the sexy descriptor, because like maybe there's less to it right now <laughs> but it's super attractive and we all really want to leverage it um there's one project i can mention just a random yeah i already said a brand so uh there's one project that i saw on tiktok that um is called gpt boss, GPT boss. and it's heard like this one. it's like really it's quite small i'm i don't know he has a lot of users i i think but like it's it's pretty rudimentary but basically it's uh, a whole team of people who are specialized in certain areas, but all the people are just trained AI models that are specifically focused on marketing or certain functions like writing a business plan or so, something like that content generation. I hate writing Instagram captions. You can get Instagram captions all generated here. Wow. So he's basically created his own little organization. Yeah. That's and wild. All the characters, like all the person personas have names and everything. And the more you use each of them within the memory window, um, the more they'll leverage that information you can put in your company info, et cetera. Um, I haven't really done much with it yet, but I think it's super cool and super interesting. Well, I'm going to have to play with that now. So if, if you need a reminder, it's called GPT Boss. GPT Boss. If you Google it, it, it does come up. I think you get like... I think a credit is like one character and you get 25,000 credits as a demo. It's it's pretty generous. You can play around with it quite a bit. And then it's like 20 bucks a month or something. Oh, so wow. it's not too bad to like, if you wanted to take it for a test drive, it, it doesn't seem too bad. I'm definitely going to do that. Okay. What is something you love or, you know, in this particular case would marry in e-commerce right now? Uh, I got to say the offline kind of connection of whatever the brand is. Like when you finally get the product, I get so much stuff on Amazon. Like I'm always buying stuff. If it's under 10 bucks and I really want it, I'm just buying it. Um, and it's always just like loose box garbage packaging. So it's so much more important now when you get like iPhones kind of played out. We've all seen it too many times, but when you get something and you start unpacking and it's really thoughtful the way you unpack it. And it's kind of like, we've put so much, into onboarding digital experiences there's like chameleon there's so many tools just to take you from somebody who doesn't know what they're doing and bring you into the ecosystem but physical products often or physical the the end output often gets neglected and when you're up against drop shippers and amazon i think it's something that's so compelling it's it's tough to focus on because it comes after conversion and like it doesn't it's tough to tie to to retention but it's the thought there really, really makes it a difference and builds a connection. I think I cannot agree with you more. I'm actually doing a uh, fun little speaking gig next week in Vegas. And part of what I'm talking about is sensory marketing. And the gentleman, the CMO for MasterCard, Raja Rajamar, he is the stuff he's doing like they they have a a credit card people <laughs> a, a credit card 
and they have a sound, they have yeah. a smell. Like this stuff really makes a difference. And the more that more research that I do on sensory marketing, the ways our, the way our senses can invoke memory. Yeah. Um, it's just incredible to listen to and to watch. And I think more brands need to do it. Like, for example, there's a reason why when we listen to a song that we heard back in high school and we were in love with somebody that was in high school and all of a sudden, like all these feelings come back and all these memories come back. Music yeah. does that, right? Smell is actually the strongest sense that is tied to memory. Um, so when we smell something, oh, this reminds me of that person, or this reminds me of this particular event or situation. There's a reason why when you go to Vegas and these large resorts have smells going through their yeah. vent system and producing oxygen so that you don't have to smell the smoke, even though you're in a place where people can smoke. <laughs> yeah, It's like, there's all of these situations where senses play a vital role in the experience. And I think it it's too many brands have gone away from it. Yeah. The unpacking really doesn't matter. The visual, the, the touch, um, if it's got texture to it, like so many things make a difference. So like just the touch alone, right. Has multiple aspects to it. Yeah. Like the, the credit cards are such a good example. Cause they weigh like, I, I, making this up but like i don't know 40 grams 30 yeah. grams something so, like that really small like a 10 gram difference on those is like 33 percent of the difference so you just an extra 10 grams makes it feel so much more substantial i bought in my shop um actually i have a can we go on a little product design tangent heck is yeah cool? let's do All it right. <laughs> And throw some light shade at somebody way more successful than me. I bought, <laughs> <laughs> I bought um, a set of Dungeons and Dragons dice uh, to make decisions for me. In my, we're in my workshop right now, and I have something over here I call the Infinite To Do List, which is just a list of all the things that I want to work on, but I don't like, have don't... time. <laughs> yeah, and so sometimes I'll be in my shop and I'll be, I'll like tidy up, uh, which isn't on the list because you have to do that before you're allowed to do the list. Um, and then I'll roll usually a D20. I'll Sometimes I'll count how many things are on the list and I'll roll the appropriate dice. And then whatever that lands on, that's what I'm, that's what I'm working on that day. And, you know, sometimes I veto it. I'm like, ah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but, but these are so heavy. They're solid, solid metal of whatever. The D&D kind of... dice are for sure. My son has some of them. Yeah. Like this one's like you could break a window with this if you really gave her. Um, and I was so satisfied with those. So I have a, we have a D and D group at, at the office. Um, and I had like, it was one of those months when you get paid three times. So I was feeling like, uh, like a millionaire. <laughs> uh, and I bought everybody in the group their own set. Cause I was so, I couldn't put them down. And then I was waiting in the mail for something. This is where I'm going to throw some undeserved shade at somebody more successful than me. Uh, I was waiting for something to come in the mail that was on a similar, uh, vibe called build dice. Um, by Simone Yetch. She's a YouTuber. She made the Truckla, which unreal. That thing is like an El Camino. It's sick. Um, but she made these build dice, um, which kind of have things on each side and they're different. There's three of them. They're different categories. So you kind of roll them and it tells you like a category to build. So this is like no power tools or something's going to be not useful. Um, this would be what you make. So a gift or a vehicle or furniture. Uh, and then what you're going to make it out of. Um, so when I have nothing on the list, which 
hasn't happened yet, um, then you can roll these. And, you know, right now it would tell me to make out of wood, which is good because I have the tools for low budget, which is good because I have that budget, a gift. I might actually do that. I'll put that up here. Anyway, these are like aluminum or something. That's really they're, cool. They're great, but they're not as heavy and they're so much bigger. And I got them in the same week and I was just like, ah, I you really wish they wanted were heavier, these. Huh? Yeah. And I think it would be crazy for them to be this dense. Like, I think it would be way too much for most people who put dents in your workshop table and stuff. But I still, because I had these that day, I really wanted these to just be solid steel and like, you know, crack my floor if I dropped them. Real question. Um, yeah. Do you, have you seen the new D&D movie? I have not. Oh, I am the absolute worst at watching films. Come I can't on, do I can't do theaters. I can't do I But it's I, but it's <laughs> D&D. It's the like first real D&D movie. I'll watch it um when it comes out on Netflix. Yeah. I'll watch it like when it comes out on Netflix, I'll put it on my big screen in my garage while I'm working on something else. I can't I cannot go to theaters anymore. I don't have the attention span. Um I can't even really just sit and watch a film. I did a graph for my D&D group because they were giving me a hard time about like how much I care about a character from when I'm introduced to them to like in context of the of the media. Um, and it takes me so long to care about the characters in a film that by the time I do, it's over. <laughs> and then there's no film for me to care about. But with television, I can deal with it because like usually I get a couple seasons to to like hang my hat on after I start to care about the characters. But yeah, no films. I, I think it's also cause I used to work at a video store for like, Oh, that explains it. Blockbuster. Like, no, a lovely, uh, lovely out of business shop in, uh, streetsville, Ontario, Canada <laughs> called queen video. I have a tattoo commemorating my experience. You got a brand on your body. Uh, no, I got I got a symbol of where I work. It's it's a VHS tape there. All these this whole arm is just symbols so of place Yeah, <laughs> but I I got to the point I was watching a lot of DVDs because I they're free, um, and I got to the point where I would just look at the timer on the DVD player and be like, oh okay, so what's about to happen is you know fall from grace for the main character is the hero's journey. I don't know why I get so hung up on it. Like, that's the whole idea of going to a movie. What, do I want them to tell me a story that doesn't end well? No. But I don't know. I just can't do it anymore. I mean, there's some there's some out there that you could watch that don't end well. <laughs> Inter interestingly, the ones that kind of work for me are horror films, uh, which are even more kind of handcuffed to certain, like, themes and constructs. Yeah. But I find it more like, it's like pop music. They're in a box, but they're going to be as creative as they can in that box. Um, the rest, like, I don't know. I, yeah, it's, it's a bad, it's not a good trait. Everybody <laughs> likes films, but me. That's fine. Not everybody does. That's totally fine. So what would you kill in e-commerce right now? Uh, if I could, you know what? At least if I could, did it, it would happen universally. We got to get rid of pop-ups, man. Like we, it's so crazy. We got, you go to a website now, you got GDPR or CCPA, depending on your region, both if it's poorly in, implemented, you got cookies. an email sign up. Yeah. The cookies banner, you got email sign up, you got a accessibility page. the chat. <laughs> yeah. Chat. You got something that's like, at least me, cause I'm in Canada. You always get something that's like, Hey, we know you're in Canada and we do ship there. Like, yeah, everybody ships to Canada dog. I didn't need a, I didn't need a pop-up. I know how to find the page. 
Um, the, the, the challenge with those is like, I'm known for that in my company. I'm always like, ah, no pop-ups. I hate, I hate pop-ups, but I'm also data driven. And so I'm always like, prove to me that that pop-up's going to make us money and you can keep it. And they do every time, every time they make, they're like, Hey, I want to put a spinner in the pop-up, like a wheel, a spin to win. And I'm like, man, I hate that. No, that's the worst. We can't do that. Eh, throw it up, see if it works. And it does every time. It's so frustrating. That's awesome. Somebody's got to come up with something else. I don't know what it is, but we got to come up with something that's not a pop-up and not auto playing a video or music. Cause that we need to leave in the past. Uh, that gets all this information across and gets email signups and like i i do the email i sign up for the email things too so like i know it works but it's gotta go i can't use the internet anymore it's, it's too it's i too love this this way. is awesome uh i've actually never heard anybody talk about pop-ups that way <laughs> or that or that they're they have such a dislike for them but their teams have got them approved every time <laughs> <laughs> it's not even like in very rare circumstances would I be able to make that decision unless there was data to back me up that I could like pr prove it. So, but yeah, I always challenge people. I'm always, they wanted to put spin to win up for so long on our website and in some regions it is up and that's because it works and people like it. The customers respond to it in a positive way. Like they buy something, which means that they didn't hate the experience, but the experience is bad. It really, it really is. It's kind of weird how we enjoy the things that we don't like sometimes, yeah. you know, as human beings. Yeah. TikTok is a constant reminder of that. No doubt about they'll, it. They'll bring me some stuff that I'm like, man, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> what did I just watch? So Brett, we're at time, but we can't let you get off until you answer this question. Tell us about an experience that you've had that left vivid memories for you or something that just like really wowed you. I will try to be concise. Um, I went on a on a trip to to Portugal a few years ago, um, and I went to to Porto where they make port wine, the fortified wine, very popular. Um, not for me. Uh, <laughs> also, as it turns out, not for the other seven to eight Canadians and Brits. They put they put Canadians, British people, and Australians uh, together in tour groups on purpose because we're all like kind of culture, like we're a little rowdy. We're kind of <laughs> like Americans, but we're a little too rowdy. And so they put us all together. Um, and we went on this whole tour and everybody was kind of, we were going to the wineries, we were tasting the wine. Um, we were all being good sports about it. Like, yeah, lovely wine. We, we love what you're working on here. The architecture was beautiful. Seeing the landscape was beautiful. Um, and our tour guide started asking us like, hey, how are you guys feeling about the wine so far? And we were like, we all hesitated and he was like you guys don't like it do you and we all kind of one by one were like you know what like it's it's good i appreciate there are things i can appreciate about it but like maybe maybe one maybe two glasses i think i'm four deep now i think this stuff's a little strong <laughs> I, we usually drink beer um and so he told us he was like we have two more two more wineries to hit but uh if you'd prefer uh, we were talking about his childhood, asking him a bunch of questions about that. And he was telling us how he grew up in the mountains, herding, herding goats and like going camping and walking miles through the mountains with goats. Uh, and we were all super interested in that. And he was like, would you be interested instead of hitting the last two wineries of swinging past kind of where I grew up, the little mountain village where I grew up? And we were like, yeah. yeah. And he was like, I'll get you farmer's wine. And we were like, what's that? And he was like, it's literally like 
the people who live there, every one of them grows grapes and they make wine themselves every year and they will give you as much as you want to drink. They're, they're happy to share it. That's what it's for. But it's like young wine. It's not very good. It's nothing like what you've been having. Like, I want to set your expectations. We were like, no, no, no that sounds that sounds good, actually. So he took us up there um, and it was this tiny, tiny mountain town. There was one fluorescent bulb in the one store that they had. Um, and he told us to wait in the car and he went and he talked to the to the lady who ran the store and she was so happy to to invite us in and uh, a couple of the the canadians in our group spoke french and it just so happens that in this mountain town in portugal everybody speaks french it was like just a holdout from from french occupation uh so we could actually really communicate and we got to learn so much about like the actual experience of growing up in portugal in like the early 1900s and how they live in this village and how they all come together it's kind of like a community farm farm village and like money's kind of weird there like you don't really exchange it that much with the people who also live there you try to keep it out of it and you just take care of each other uh and it was just such a fulfilling experience um i should probably look up if the guy's still doing tours <laughs> or if he like opened his dream farm and, and give him a shout out. But it was just so unreal to like get that that real human connection and like really experience uh, not this dressed up. You're so special. Thank you for coming to our winery type of situation. It was it was truly an exchange of of information and ideas and like us telling her what it was like in Canada and her telling us what it was like um, growing up in a mountain uh, in Portugal and, and what their national festivals were like and stuff. And it was just incredible. That is awesome. I hope you uh, hope you took a lot of pictures of that. Uh, uh, not enough, you know. Not enough. <laughs> you know, it's never enough. I always leave my phone in my pocket too long. Well, Brett, we are at time. Thank you so much for joining us today on Spamming Zero. Thanks for having me. I, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, you've been great, man. Like we got to have you back. You're a great storyteller. I like that on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I I do what I can. If you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, we would love it if you would. Give us All a right. rating. I've been listening to uh, the podcast a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but I didn't subscribe, so I will. What do you, what do you think about it so far? It's good. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's good to get different perspectives. I think the content is like different enough every episode, which is nice. Um, it's not a good work on your motorcycle uh, podcast because you do have... <laughs> You do have to pay attention, so it gets, goes into the bucket of of ones that I listen to while I'm actually paying attention, which is probably a good spot to be for this type of content, <laughs> as opposed to comedy podcasts, which like, yeah, if I miss two jokes, I'll be okay, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, let me know how we can improve it. We're always looking for new ways to do it, so let me know. Sure, yeah, I'll send you, I'll send you some thoughts. But yeah, it's it's good stuff. Brett Simpson, everybody from Inkbox. Thanks very much. <laughs>